0: here some very exciting times ahead up bell all right a real friend of this channel he's given me hundreds of uh, topics to talk about and he was raising the obvious topic of with the increase in work from home which is particularly strong in los angeles and in new york city and san francisco all right commercial real estate is absolutely crashing in value and there are going to be some complications from this all right the, the commercial real estate industry is headed for some very difficult times we're gonna have a lot of bankruptcies in the commercial real estate sector and this is a significant part of what is known as shadow banking so we're talking about hedge funds we're talking about open-ended money market funds all right they are now pulling out of key credit markets they're forcing the government to intervene to try to stabilize things. So the COVID shock reaffirmed the significance of structural vulnerabilities in non-banks. That's Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. So there are all these ways that U.S. regulators are now trying to better monitor hedge fund leverage and address liquidity mismatches in open-end hedge funds and money markets. So these sectors can, when under pressure, absolutely break the buck, leave small investors with huge losses. And the next The next sector of our finance industry to go into spasm is going to be shadow banks all right This is the real risk all right we 've got all this trouble brewing in commercial property loans i 'm looking at the financial times we've got all this problem in private equity real estate funds. Have you heard over the last ten years all about uh, private equity funds buying houses all right going into the the rental business all right They increasingly own more and more of our real economy all right so you've got the shadow banks you got the small banks you got the regional banks all right small banks hold 70 percent of all commercial real estate loans and the growth of this has tripled since 2021 and now small banks regional banks people are fleeing from regional banks they're pulling their funds out of regional banks after the silicon valley bank crash because they are concerned that there's not going to be you know sufficient backstop to ensure their deposits so in 2019 we had the easing of dodd-frank rules for community banks and smaller financial institutions have always invested in more riskier assets usually owned by private equity and hedge funds all right so do other institutions looking for better returns including pension funds so small bank funding to commercial real estate is now tightening all right we've got rising interest rates we've got downward pressure on commercial property values, right, they're now way below pre COVID pandemic levels. So this will curtail capital flows, it will derail investment It will put pressure on private equity funds, who now have a whole bunch of loans maturing, and they're going to need either equity injections, or they're going to have to sell in desperation. Right? So Asset managers are either going to go to investors for more capital this year, which will be very tough to negotiate at the moment, or they're going to have to sell their property out to cover their loans. We're talking about a doom loop, all right? Big real estate indices have already turned negative, right? They turned negative last year. So last month, the Canadian property group Brookfield stopped making payments on $734 million of Los Angeles office building debt. All right, there's elevated short interest in real estate investment <clears throat> funds such as Hudson Pacific, Properties, Vornado, Realty. So we're going to see all sorts of other vulnerabilities coming to the fore all right, in the financial system, particularly in regional banks, shadow banks. So rich non-bank asset managers such as Blackstone, Apollo, Carlisle, right, they've all gone huge into real estate, residential, commercial real estate in the wake of uh, 2008. Right, they were able to make deals the regulated banks couldn't. So private equity players have made all sorts of new investments in utilities, farmland, transportation, energy, energy renewables, as well as commercial real estate, residential real estate. Right. And so this combination of falling real estate values, higher interest rates, a credit crunch is gonna mean we're gonna see some high profile defaults and we're gonna see a curtain pulled up. On what private equity and global asset management has been up to the last few years. Ed, there's a book about this very topic coming out this month, right, by a political economist, Brett Christopher's Our Lives in Their Portfolios Why Asset Managers Own the World, right? We, we've moved from financialized capitalism to an asset manager society. So we've got the titans of finance now own essential physical systems and frameworks such as the homes in which we live, the buildings where we work, the power systems that light our cities, and the hospitals where we die. And this has all been sped up by post-COVID fiscal stimulus plans, which have encouraged more public-private infrastructure partnership, like the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act for America. Right, it had much less public investment than was initially proposed, but has a whole bunch of new concessions for private investment. So we've got chief executive of brookfield asset manager saying in this new book what we do is behind the scenes nobody knows we're there you're going to know they're there very soon right the problems of private equity in residential real estate right you're going to learn a lot more about that in the weeks and months ahead we've got a looming crisis in commercial real estate in half the country we've got plunging residential real estate prices we're going to get a much closer look at highly leveraged bricks and mortar empires built by shadow banks and what risks uh, posed by the privatization of these assets and let's look at the chat kyle fan says i've been watching the scuffed realtor live stream it's the best we need a hot capital injection Bernard says it's going to be inconvenient if your local bank goes bankrupt, even if you are made hold, you may have to go months or years without your savings. Elliot says burn it down. Bernard says bailouts will not help the inflation going on. Another Financial Times article, US regional banks reduced cash buffers ahead of a run on deposits. So there's been this massive run on deposits for regional banks over the past month. And just before that, regional banks dramatically reduced all right, they're their cash buffers right they're, they're completely unprepared for mass withdrawals as they adjust to higher interest rates so the largest u.s regional banks begin 2023 with less cash on hand than at any time since the 2008 financial crisis they are ill-prepared for a rush on deposit withdrawals the very thing that led to the collapse of silicon valley bank and signature bank All Right, so 30 banks with assets between 50 billion and 250 billion cut the percentage of their assets held in cash to an average of 7% at the start of 2023 from 13% the year before, All right? That's less than half the cash held by the nation's largest, more strictly regulated lenders, such as Citigroup and J.P. Morgan Chase. Why would you not put your deposits in Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Bank of America right now? Why would you leave it in a regional bank, All right? The, the big banks have 15% of their assets in cash. So regional banks are highly vulnerable to these deposit outflows. They can be much more easily destabilized by losses on forced sales of their securities to give customers back th- their cash. And so this is driving a panic in bank stocks. Right, th- th- these low levels of cash marked a sharp drop from the first year of the pandemic. Right, So the Federal Reserve is setting out to fight inflation. It's getting tougher for smaller banks to find profits. So they started moving assets that they were holding in cash and earning nothing into bonds that paid modest interest outcome. But then this risked losses should the bank need those funds to repay depositors, something that had not been a concern for years until it suddenly once was. So more and more depositors are asking for their money back and banks are in a regional banks are in a very difficult position so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on this okay pretty concerning it appears that uh some democrats are spreading election misinformation hillary clinton nancy pelosi oh no
1: We all know how hard it is to start a new chapter in life. And if you're Crooked, who's spent most of her career either bleaching emails or running for president, starting a new teaching gig at Columbia might feel a little bit overwhelming at first. So today, one of Crooked's besties, Nancy Pelosi, paid her a visit, girl power, hoping that maybe it'll break the ice for her. And just like old friends, they complimented each other's outfits.
2: Nancy has been really the... You know, the avatar of that for Washington for so long. And she's been able to do it in these ridiculously high heels. I mean, truly, if I didn't love her, I would hate her. I mean, purple, they're at least six inches. I mean, stiletto doesn't describe them.
1: And they talked about their recent
2: vacations. Tell us a little bit about both of those decisions um to visit ukraine to tell you the honest truth it was pretty scary without going into the details of the logistics and all of that i thought we could we could possibly die but it's for democracy
1: so what's she so afraid of i mean san francisco is more dangerous than ukraine at this point but nance didn't go all the way to columbia just to talk about heels and vacation she went to new york to talk about hillary's favorite topic how Russia stole the 2016 election
2: it was her clarity and position to the president Putin present occupant leader of, of Russia that made him turn around and ensure in a, a illegal way come out against her in her campaign an interference in our democracy by Vladimir Putin because Hillary Clinton was the person he feared most in terms of his lack of democracy in Russia.
1: <laughs> Nothing gets Hillary going like talking about Russian interference. She can go on and on.
2: A guy who had been one of the main, I guess he was one of the main people running memes against me in 2016. But he went from that to ha- running a very deliberate effort to mislead people about where and how to vote. Yeah. So it went from speech to action meant to subvert the election because thousands of people who guilty. they targeted yeah. through their algorithms... Oh, I can text my vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. 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 Thousands texted yeah. their vote.
1: <laughs> Hillary started the Russia hoax, but... Some guy made a meme. (laughs) We're getting the feeling Hillary hasn't moved on from her loss to Trump. Alvin Bragg probably influenced the election more than.
0: Okay, that's ridiculous that Hillary Clinton thinks that thousands of her voters tried to text their vote. My God, that's that's absurd. Okay, good article in the New York Times. Trump's prosecution has set a dangerous precedent. I mean, this, you would think, would incentivize all sorts of local district attorneys to start bringing charges uh, on on the basis of political calculations, right? Alvin Bragg may have been the first local prosecutor to do it. He will not be the last, so every local prosecutor in the country would now feel that he has free reign to criminally investigate, prosecute presidents after they leave office. Democrats currently cheering the charges may feel differently when President Biden ends up on the receiving end of a similar effort by any of the thousands of prosecutors elected to local office eager to make a name for themselves by prosecuting former president of the United States. So the vast range breadth diversity of criminal laws throughout the country provide plenty of opportunity for mischief, mischief. So, yeah, Delaware is a solid democratic state, but what if Joe Biden visits Florida or Texas, right? They have broad criminal laws on the books that prohibit various forms of financial and business improprieties. And if a president misled someone right in the state during a financial transaction, or if the president used a financial institution in that state for some questionable dealing, they could get prosecuted. Let's say a president ran a business or a nonprofit that perhaps inflated his financial condition to secure office space. Right That could form the basis of an investigation to whether he committed a crime by fraudulently obtaining property or credit, right so we could just see an onslaught of these prosecutions, and it wasn't necessary right if if Joe Biden wasn't so checked out, right he would have told his attorney general to engage and to coordinate with Alvin Bragg and with the district attorney in Georgia who's investigating Trump in Fulton County and let them know that the Biden Justice Department is conducting very thorough criminal investigations considering considering concerning Donald Trump's business dealings, concerning Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. I mean, this is common. Federal prosecutors routinely ask state and local prosecutors to step aside when the underlying facts implicate federal laws or federal interests. They almost always agree to do so. Right so Joe Biden could have alleviated the legal uncertainty and the controversy that surrounds Trump. He could have protected himself and his democratic successors from retribution, but Joe Biden has not taken these steps, right? He's left local prosecutors like Alvin Bragg with the license and even the imperative to pursue Trump for any questionable conduct in their jurisdiction. So this reminds me of the way Joe Biden reacted to Russia massing on Ukraine's borders and saying that they were going to invade unless there was some sort of agreement reached. Right. Joe Biden was checked out on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He's checked out now on Alvin Bragg's uh, indictment of Donald Trump and both totally unnecessary. Right, it is completely normal for federal prosecutors to step in with local prosecutors and say, "Hey, we're, we're doing a very thorough investigation. You know, please, please allow us, you know, our lane to to do this." All right? Joe Biden would have saved himself, his party, so much aggravation, the country, so much aggravation, and he also just allowed you know Russia to march into Ukraine, didn't engage with Russia, didn't try to come to some kind of accord, apparently didn't try to engage with Alvin Bragg. So the same sort of, you know, checked out, you know, attitude that has has put us, you know, on the verge of World War Three in Europe, right, we very well get into some kind of shooting war with Russia nuclear exchange with, with Russia completely unnecessary. And you have a lot of concern about you know violent conflict in the U.S. being sparked by this what seems to be haven't seen the indictment yet but seems to be completely unnecessary, one hundred percent politically motivated indictment of Donald Trump. Now there's always going to be a political edge to what you choose to arrest people for. There's always tremendous subjectivity with how you enforce laws, but if if. Alvin Bragg's case is as weak as it looks right now. All right, then this is just going to unleash Republican prosecutor fury. All right, and just uh, just drive you know all sorts of chaos in this country. So, you're probably thinking, what does Dennis Prager have to say about this
3: line well, we have crossed in this country and its history with the indictment of an ex president on completely trivial matters over which almost any
0: Yeah, it does right now it does look uh, trivial. I mean, we have to we have to wait for the indictment to to make a, a final prop-
3: proclamation, but that does seem fair. Anybody who has been in business could be indicted. If you, for example, if you took a meal as a business expense and couldn't prove that was really a business meal, uh, you you could be charged with tax fraud. That's
0: right, there are so many rules uh, and laws that we all routinely violate on, on a regular basis that if you have sufficient funds, right, you can prosecute anyone for anything. There right? needs to be common sense. And you know, why not go after rapists and murderers as your top priority?
3: How seriously you could be charged with it, I don't know, not a tax attorney, but you could be. Uh, it is in, on the level of that, the man paid a woman to keep quiet. Do you remember the Clinton era when every Democrat and all of the, the Democratic Party media, New York Times, et cetera, all their rhetoric was, it's, o- it's only about sex. Remember that? That's, and by the way, I, I happen to have had some sympathy for that argument. I did not call for Clinton's impeachment. I thought he should resign. And it was not over the sex. It was over the lying under oath. And that is a considerably more serious offense than uh, paying uh, a woman to keep quiet and who decided that she had not received enough. Uh, to, to my, in my mind, she is the villain in that particular matter. Uh,
0: Stormy Daniels is the villain in that particular matter. That particular matter is so filthy. <laughs> All right, this is like two people engaged in a swim in the sewer all right I, I find it really hard to proclaim either donald trump or stormy daniels the villain man look that critical video of you with stephen j james and claire court gets hot one hour in it is viewing gold okay i i couldn't have that normal life
4: what do you think about that, Claire Core? Thoughts? I'm just going to oh, grab a th- 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 That's his usual
5: litany of excuses. I can't because then I would sacrifice all these birds and would otherwise.
0: Whoa. Whoa. I mean, Claire Core, she can kill with a smile. She can wound with her eyes. She can ruin your faith with her casual lies. And she only reveals what she wants you to see. She hides like a child. But Claire Caw, she's always a woman to me. Whoo. Oh, oh. she can lead you to love. She can take you or leave you. She can ask for the truth, but she'll never believe you. And she'll take what you give her, as long as it's free. She's always a woman to me.
5: I could have bed, bedded. Um, yeah, I mean... You either have principles or you don't, and Luke doesn't, and there he is. Um, he will be repellent to women, and this is why I keep going on. You know, he might even spend a lot of money on his teeth.
0: Spend a lot of money on my teeth. Okay, first of all, if, if it makes you feel good spending a lot of money on your teeth, you know, for many people would be a, a good investment. I mean, I spend about uh, 100 to $150 a year. I get uh, a yearly or uh, twice a year checkup on my teeth. If I have cavities, I get them filled and that's that's the extent of my spending on my teeth but if i did spend twenty thousand dollars on my teeth like if it made me feel good and it made you feel good right if i'm happy the people around me are going to be happier and better off like your happiness is a moral issue so if you feel good about yourself if you need to spend a little money on your teeth or whatever you need to to feel happy so long as it's not you know immoral hurting other people that's a good investment i mean Claire she steals like a thief, but she's always a woman to me. Oh, she takes care of herself. She can wait if she wants. She's ahead of her time. Oh, she never gives out, and she never gives in. She just changes her mind.
5: Even he, he, he has features that would be considered good-looking, but you know, what woman would, would have anything to do with him? They would just instinctively be, be repulsed. But he has no
4: principle. or you
5: You know, I'm just Why would they be I'm you a woman's perspective, and you can't, Why? you know...
4: What? Why would they be repulsed by Luke? Luke's a fine-looking man? Yeah, he, yes, he... I do
5: not deny that he has even features, and he's he spent a lot of money on his teeth. But if you listen to the content of what he actually said... <laughs> you bringing up the teeth. What's wrong with his teeth?
4: What's wrong with his teeth that you don't like? I'm not
5: saying, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, he spent a lot of money on his teeth, and they're very white. And, and, do you have bad um, teeth, Claire? They... Uh,
0: they I've never had teeth whitening, but if I did, and it made you know made someone happier or made me happier, I mean that would be a, a great investment. This is this is a hilarious line of uh, critique. I mean, she'll promise you more than the Garden of Eden, then she'll carelessly cut you and laugh while you're bleeding. But she'll bring out the best and the worst you can be. Blame it all on yourself, because she's always a woman to me. Yep, she takes care of herself. She can wait if she wants She's ahead of her time She never gives out and she never gives in She just changes her mind right, Very well Okay
4: <laughs> uh, I, Are you sexually frustrated by Luke? I, do you feel like he t- Did he turn you down? Are you sexually uh... No,
5: I would never accept uh, An offer from somebody like that Anyway, you know somebody not? obviously has He just is morally repugnant to me um, and I think do most women with, with their, you know, brains screwed on.
4: Brain screwed sex on is a path. mental. Sex is a mental uh, endeavour with you, isn't it?
5: Well, you have to trust the person, not not think that he's just, you know, you know a creep that um, is is basically sleazy and doesn't get it about what women want.
4: <laughs> he literally made a film called What Women Want. like I've not watched it. Have you? Well,
5: he obviously, doesn't know what women want. They they don't want a sleazebag who keeps saying that he was into porn. Luke, you heard it here first. he's converted to Judaism. He, you know. Oh, I'm an Orthodox Jew. I converted to Orthodox Judaism, but I can't stop, stop stop talking about my my porn director days. I mean, there's something wrong there.
4: Like, so Devil's Advocate again. It was a big part of Luke's life, um and it was the thing that first shot him. To some notoriety um he, he was looking to make it big in hollywood from the day that uh he was dropped off there on the plane or whatever and he thought it was going to be like in acting or something and he can't act he can't act uh this didn't work out for him he ended up getting into journalism or whatever got into the ladies um and uh, hollywood's a sleazy place He um, probably went for the easy option of just talking pumping about and pumping and dumping. but anyway look he he got a break in terms of journalism talking about the sleazy side of hollywood um and look who can knock him for you could knock him more is what i'm trying to say you could um feel worse about luke if he attempted to hide it like people bring this out today as an own when i mentioned um that like i i was um, it's probably not the right word but like groomed into into the alt-right through the luke Fordosphere. Uh, <laughs> but um, they, they, they like say you know he was a a, a a porn blogger don't you like that's some kind of own but he's always owned it himself so it can't be an own later it's, he's always been honest about it he's not hidden it that's part of his character isn't it yes. and he's upfront. he wears it, his faults on his he's suite. a
5: nihilist I mean that is the thing I have no principles and I'm proud I have no principles and I am so unprincipled I will convert to another religion and say I don't believe in all that shit but you know I'll need that life because right. I think it gives me a better you know so I can piss on you lot and, and you know you lot just
4: Brutal click or brutal analysis. Uh, let's listen to a bit more.
0: Whoa, painful, but she's always a woman to me.
6: Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Monday. So here's a story from over the weekend. At about 5 a.m. on Saturday morning in Manhattan, a parking garage attendant called Musa Diara noticed a man peering into parked cars looking for things to steal. Now that's a familiar scene in New York City. Alvin Bragg, who is the local Soros funded DA, has decided that prosecuting car burglaries is a form of white supremacy. As a result, not surprisingly, car burglaries have risen quite a bit. Musa Daria, the attendant, is not white, but apparently he's sick of watching other people get robbed, so he told the man to get out, leave the garage. In response, the man pulled out a handgun and fired four times. He hit the in the head and the stomach. It was a nightmare. But somehow, Musa Diarra had the presence of mind to wrestle the gun from the man and then fire back before the man could shoot him or anyone else. By the time police arrived, both men were lying on the sidewalk bleeding. Now, what do you think happened next? In a sane, self-respecting society, Musa Diarra would have received a medal, if not a ticker tape parade. But in the city of New York, he was arrested and charged with attempted murder and illegal possession of a gun. THE SAME GUN THAT HAD BEEN USED TO SHOOT HIM. Dara WOKE UP IN BELLEVUE HOSPITAL SHACKLED TO HIS BED. THE NEW YORK POST RAN THIS PICTURE. IT'S OF HIM SOBBING. I GOT BULLETS IN ME AND I'M chained TO A HOSPITAL BED, HE SAID, BUT I DIDN'T DO ANYTHING WRONG. YOU CAN IMAGINE HIS CONFUSION. THIS WAS NOT THE COUNTRY HE EXPECTED. AND IN FACT, MUSA DEARA IS EXACTLY THE KIND OF PERSON YOU WANT MORE OF IN YOUR COUNTRY. He's 57 years old, and he's still working harder than most young people do. In fact, when New York shut down during COVID, as lawyers and nonprofit executives hid in their apartments, living on DoorDash and stockpiling surgical masks from Amazon, Diarro went to work every day like Americans used to. The man who shot him, by contrast, does not have a history of going to work every day. His name is Charles Rohde. We checked. He's got a rap sheet of nearly a dozen serious crimes that go back more than 20 years. And yet, as of Saturday at 5 a.m., he was not in jail. He was walking around New York with a gun looking for more things to steal. In the end, Alvin Bragg caved to public outrage, which was considerable, and dropped the charges against Musa Deyara. But he had already made the point very clear to everyone. In our new Soros-inspired justice system, decent people are the criminals, while the criminals are now a protected class. Here's how it works. The people in charge unleash chaos in our cities, but if you dare to protect yourself or your family from that chaos, you wind up in handcuffs. What is this? Well, the name of this system of governance is anarcho-tyranny. You get state-sponsored anarchy accompanied by political tyranny. Since taking office, Bragg has done his best to increase the anarchy. He's increased the number of felony charges his office drops by nearly 40%. That includes almost half of all drunk driving charges. It's no longer really a crime to drive drunk in New York City. That's the anarchy part. But for those who step outside the political lines, it is tyranny. You'll remember the middle-aged bodega clerk called Jose Alba from the Dominican Republic. Bragg sent him to Rikers Island, one of the worst prisons in the world, for daring to defend himself against a lunatic who was trying to murder him. So now this very same system, the system that imprisoned Jose Alba and chained Musa Diarra to his hospital bed, this Soros-inspired and backed system, is putting Joe Biden's main political opponent in the upcoming presidential race on trial for a crime that's not actually a crime. This is the political tyranny part of anarcho-tyranny. So for our existing legal system, this appears to be a point of no return. And you would think the media would point that out, even if they support it. This is a big change from the way the country has run for hundreds of years. But no, because they're too dumb, too shallow, and above all, too self-interested. So Trump's upcoming arraignment tomorrow isn't a turning point in our country's legal system. It's yet another chance to follow Trump around in the hope that ratings will return. This was CNN all day today.
2: We are, I'm being told right now, that is Donald Trump leaving Mar-a-Lago on
0: his way to uh, to catch his plane that will leave to New York where he'll arrive later this afternoon. We're watching really history right now unfold on your screen. Donald Trump en route to the airport and a court date in New York becoming the first ever former president to face a, a criminal indictment.
2: Look, This is a historic moment. We just watched the former president of the United States, or a former president of the United States, leave his home headed to New York to be arraigned in court.
0: We're watching on our screen as Trump's motorcade has now arrived on the tarmac at Palm Beach International Airport.
1: Heading up in the air and heading back to his home state of New York, certainly not the kind of homecoming that uh, he had ever imagined when he went back from Florida to New York, but he is heading back on a historic flight. Again, not necessarily a... Part of history that Donald Trump or any former president would want to make. One of the things that we have learned is to
6: um,
1: not put everything at an 11, not make everything the biggest deal. This is a big deal.
6: (laughs) Oh, this is a big deal. We get to talk over live pictures, what we were trained to do in local news. Well, it is a big deal, actually. It's a very, very big deal. But the guardrails are gone. No one in the media seems to be pointing out that this is a huge change in our entire legal system. And no one in the Democratic Party in Washington, even those who are a little bit concerned about where this might be heading, dares say anything at all because Alvin Bragg is, of course, a holy person and no one wants to speak out against the crowd on Twitter. So this is all happening in slow motion. And of course, we're getting the dumbest possible lectures, as always, from cable news. We've learned not to put everything at 11. We're not making everything the biggest deal. It's hilarious of course they can't wait to make it the biggest deal on the shallowest possible level and the reason is economic since trump left office cnn has lost more than 60 percent of its viewers they're desperately trying to sell the channel because like it's tanking so they have every incentive to sensationalize anything that trump does no matter what happens to the country in the process so here you have a soros funded da perp walking a former president What does this mean? What could Trump possibly be guilty of? (laughs) They don't even tell you. All they tell their eager but small audience is the walls are closing in on career criminal Donald Trump. They're going to turn Trump's motorcade into OJ's Bronco because otherwise they are going to be out of a job because nobody watches them anymore. So that's a sober assessment of what's happening in this country. We're saying, look at the plane, look at the motorcade. Before long, outlets like CNN may be your only source of information about the trial. And that's the scary thing. Imagine a system where the person who's been charged is no longer allowed to defend himself. Oh, are you seeing the connection here? Like the parking garage attendant who was shot by a criminal, he gets arrested. Like Jose Alba, who tried to save his own life from a lunatic in his bodega, he gets arrested. The people who are the victims of the tyranny don't get to speak CNN speaks for them. Imagine that. There are multiple reports tonight that Alvin Bragg's office will seek a gag order when Trump is arraigned. Now, that would prevent Trump, on pain of going to prison, from talking about his case in public. But CNN and MSNBC and The New York Times and The Washington Post, all the completely filthy, corrupt liars in the media, handmaidens to power, they'll be able to say whatever they want. Because apparently their coverage doesn't influence the jury only the accused defending himself. Well, it's not only unconstitutional, baldly so. It's also completely immoral. And above all, in the middle of a presidential race, it's a subversion of democracy itself. The leading candidate from the other party doesn't get to talk or you send him to prison? Wake up first. Where's Michael Beschloss on this? Where are all the august historians always telling us about, you know, The architecture of our democracy, our democratic norms. Is that a democratic norm? Silencing the other party's main presidential candidate? On pain of going to jail? (laughs) But they like the power. And they're going to continue to exercise it until somebody stops them. Today, the mayor of New York City, a grave disappointment, we thought would be a good mayor, hasn't been a good mayor. It's sad. So to divert attention from his own ineptitude and the hours he spends in bars at night... He's now decided to become a political celebrity. So he's now threatening to jail a member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene, if she dares to protest Donald Trump's arraignment in a way that he doesn't like. Watch this.
7: While there may be some rabble rousers thinking about coming to our city tomorrow, our message is clear and simple. Control yourselves. New York City is our home, not a playground for your misplaced Anger. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is known to spread mis- misinformation and hate speech. Uh, she stated she's coming to town. While you're in town, be on your best behavior. As always, we will not allow violence or vandalism of any kind. And if one is caught participating in
6: any act of violence, they will be arrested and held accountable. Uh-huh. New York City's our home. That's why we let people crap on the sidewalk and hookers turn tricks in the vestibule of ATM machines. Really, it's your home? Your home is filthy. And you're in... Wouldn't it have been great if they talked like that during Black Lives Matter?
0: Can you imagine black leaders, democratic leaders, urban leaders standing up and saying, after the death of George Floyd, control yourselves. I don't remember any democratic leader getting up and saying, control yourselves. I, I can't remember any Republican leader Who stood up in American public life and said to George Floyd protesters, control yourselves? Like, who stood up and said, be on your best behavior? Uh, Did did corporations say, you know, be on your best behavior or we're not going to fund you? I mean, corporations funded the Black Lives Matter terrorism. Like, Fortune 500 companies were eager to pour funds into the Black Lives Matter terrorist group. I mean, we won't allow violence and vandalism. Can you imagine? people saying that to george floyd protesters they wouldn't have had the balls nobody said that i don't even think donald trump said that who in the media said to george floyd protesters that uh we won't allow violence or vandalism. If you do it, we will highlight and focus on your action, and you will be forever immortalized in, in shame so that nobody wants to hire you. We will ruin your life if you engage in violence and vandalism because that would be a desecration of the great and holy name of George Floyd. No one said that. I can't think of any Republicans, any Democrats, any academic leaders, political leaders, uh, Fortune 500 leaders. Just imagine if they talked that way during the George Floyd protests. Ah. But if people are rallying in support of Donald Trump, all right, then we're gonna crack down on them. My God. Competent.
6: People like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is known to spread hate speech. Really, what's hate speech? Well, it's speech that certain politicians hate. That's all it is. There's no hate speech prescribed in the Constitution. That's completely made up. It's a power grab, of course. Politicians didn't used to dare to talk like this because someone would call them and say, whoa, whoa, slow down. We have a Bill of Rights. But those people are hiding. And like Michael Beschloss, they're too afraid to say what's obviously true, which is we're watching the system itself collapse. So you get to just jail a former president on some fake crime for a payment he made seven years ago that was completely legal. Once you get to do that, well, you just can go after all your political enemies with the force of law. And that's what they're doing because no one's stopping them. Today, Fox News learned that Merrick Garland's DOJ is sending subpoenas to Trump's Secret Service agents as part of their probe into his handling of classified documents. Now, if there was ever a fake crime, it's this. Everyone who's ever served in federal office, from Hillary Clinton to Joe Biden to Mike Pence, has admitted to bringing home documents in violation of the law. We have A billion classified federal documents, probably 2% of which deserve to be classified. The whole system is rotten and corrupt, and everybody knows it. But they're using it in order to stop someone from running for president. Okay. Is that okay with the defenders of democracy? Then there's the grand jury forewoman in Georgia going on MSNBC saying we're investigating Trump for saying the wrong things about the, the 2020 election. So they want to take out Trump, but in a democratic system, you do that by convincing people to vote against him. In a tyrannical system, you use people with guns to stop him from running. And that's honestly exactly what we're seeing. And even if you don't like Trump and have no intention of voting for him in this next cycle, you should have the right to vote for him because that's democracy. And anyone who takes that right away from you is a tyrant and is presiding over a system that is not democratic, but totalitarian, obviously. So to assess all of this tonight, we are joined by Candace Owens, the host of Candace, and we're always happy to have her. Candace, thanks so much for coming on. It does seem like anarcho was one of these ideas.
0: Okay, thanks, Candace. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Oh, my, my God. Wow. Okay, so it, it is a big deal, you know, it, indicting Donald Trump, but we haven't seen the, the indictment yet, but it does look like from what we have now that this is just going to inspire you know all sorts of mayhem and joe biden was asleep at the wheel right his justice department could have reached out to alvin bragg and said hey we're doing a federal investigation you know p- allow us to to run things but now we may very well have an america where presidents have to avoid all sorts of states with where people who have the power to prosecute the president right might indict him right this may very well limit the ability of democratic and republican parties to groom presidential contenders from states that are not safe to their political party so this this could be absolutely catastrophic and here's, here's something related the solution to israel's crisis might be in america's constitution this is Yuval levine but anyway the point we always hear about Israel's judicial reforms that this is a threat to Israel's democracy but as with India talked about this and Christopher Cordwell's essay for the Claremont review of books about how India finally has majority rule so Israel is trying to expand democracy right trying to expand the majority rule so in Israel, you've got a judiciary that has claimed for itself a whole variety of powers of review and nullification. It is constantly restraining government action, including action against illegal immigrants, and Israel's supreme court's actions frequently have absolutely no basis in law. So, what the Netanyahu government doing would enhance democracy. All right, it, it would make you know Israel probably a, a more democratic place and Israeli judicial system desperately needs an overhaul and uh if you're if you're opposed to majoritarian rule, all right you're opposed to democracy, liberalism and democracy don't go hand in hand; they are opposed liberalism means that there are all sorts of rights that a majority that a political process cannot take away right so that's liberalism democracy says you know the majority rules so what israelis who are protesting these judicial reforms are doing right they they are marching for restraints on democracy and the same with american elites who say that the republicans and donald trump uh, are trying to squash democracy when when frequently what they want to reduce is rule by experts right so yeah majority rule can be despotic right minority rule can be despotic there's no Know, clear path forward that has no downside but uh making a, a country more democratic right you should just call it it's, it's more democracy right it's less ruled by experts right restraining an unanchored judiciary right that is making decisions without a basis in law is not trying to create fascism right it's arguing for majority rule which is the essential premise of democracy right it makes sense that parliamentary majorities would complain that courts that routinely act without a legitimate foundation in law, right, laws made by the people's representatives, are out of control. So judicial independence should not mean independence from the law. But Israel's Supreme Court is continually acting with independence from the law, right? They, they, they're striking down government appointments, they're striking down government legislation. They're protecting illegal immigrants, invaders into the country from Africa. So yeah, judges should be accountable to someone, right? Why should judicial whims or expert whims govern us? Now, there's no, no one's figured it out how to deal with bureaucracies, right? You can't sue them, generally speaking, as individuals. The executive branch, legislative branch, and, and the judicial branch rarely have you know, significant oversight of of bureaucracies. But uh, what Donald Trump is promising is that he he takes power in 2024. He supposedly has 50,000 people ready and willing to take up top governmental positions. Normally, an incoming administration can only appoint about 5,000, but he's got got legislation that would allow him to appoint 50,000 people to run our democracies, uh, outrun our bureaucracies. And here's a related issue, which is important from the Wall Street Journal op-ed. U.S. research scientists are blind to China's threat, so eager for collaboration. The National Institute of Health won't acknowledge concerns about national security. So I was talking about hero systems yesterday. Wherever you stand, whatever profession you're in, whatever your peer group, right? you're going to be profoundly affected. And when you bind with people, you also become blinded. So how do you think I enjoy going to synagogue? Right, after some alt right nut job has like shut up a synagogue or shut up a mosque or shut up a, a Walmart in El Paso, and I get to hear, oh, Luke's friends are at it again. Right, every time some 1488 nutter like goes off and starts murdering people, I have to go to shul and hear about, oh, Luke's friends are out there murdering people again. Right, how do you think that makes me feel? That's absolutely no fun. All right, so I have to. I have to use some good judgment with the, you know, with my guests and with the the tenor of my show, right? I don't, you know, I I don't like uh, being (laughs) being told, oh, Luke's friends are, you know, shooting up a Walmart, right? That's not fun. So every tie you have, I I don't want to live a life without ties, but every tie you have, every profession you're in comes with blind spots. So After COVID hit in 2020, you had all these U.S. public health agencies just jumping out to unwarranted conclusions that Chinese scientists had done absolutely nothing deliberate, nothing accidental. They didn't make any mistakes. They did nothing towards causing the COVID pandemic. We had scientists at the National Institutes of Health, scientists at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease just continuing to defend engagement with China on pathogen research, like just shoveling all this valuable information and technology to China so that we continue to, you know, work together with China hand in hand, because this is the bias of certain scientists. Like many virologists want, you know, freedom to practice gain of function research to practice, you know, very dangerous you know, viral experimentation that may well have unleashed COVID on the world, that may well unleash something far worse than COVID on the world. And they want the freedom to just share information and to experiment with this dangerous stuff. And all government research agencies, all groups, all right, we all have different cultures. And US public health agencies are rooted in open science, right? Just like economists all overwhelmingly tend to be in favor of free trade, open trade? Well, US public health experts tend to be rooted in open science, right? That scientific collaboration should be just encouraged globally and that geopolitics should not constrain cooperation between researchers. But there's very little consideration given to the national security implications of joint research or the national security implications of free trade. So economists, when they talk about, you know, moving imports around. They never consider that some, you know, some groups are far more productive than other groups. They just you know, treat uh, individuals and labor inputs as though they're all alike, which, of course, is absolutely absurd. So there's all this credible information now about the risks of partnering with China, even in research, and our public health agencies ignore this information. They refuse to acknowledge that research can have national security implications. Now, there are federal agencies that do consider national security implications of scientific research, such as the Energy Department, which came out and said that it suspects that uh, a lab leak was very likely the cause of, of COVID. So the Energy Department's national laboratories conduct highly classified research as well as open science work. And it's not like one approach is always better. Events, my dear boy, events determine which approach is better. Situations determine which approach is better, right? So around 2017, the Energy Department's National Laboratories started having significant concerns about biosecurity with regard to China. And so you had a Chinese general at that time declaring an interest in using gene sequencing and editing to develop pathogenic bioweapons that would target specific ethnic groups, right? Then the Commerce Department ordered export restrictions on dangerous biotechnology to China, but the National Institutes of Health, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, they refuse to go along with this. They refuse to believe there are any risks involved in collaborating with Chinese labs. Right? They have this indiscriminate commitment to open science, along with many other virologists and other related scientists. They're so committed to open science, it completely blinds them to threats. Even when you've got a country like China open about its intentions to develop you know, dangerous biotechnology that would just target specific ethnic groups. So public health agencies increased their funding and increased their cooperation with China after 2017, after you had this Chinese general saying, oh, we're, we need to research, you know, how to wipe out specific ethnic groups. Uh, the Energy Department, meanwhile, wanted Congress to restart a biosecurity effort at the national laboratories. And so these funds started flowing in December 2019 right before covid began spreading across the u.s so the energy department has led the way with a human genome project with gene editing they were quickly able to evaluate the novel coronavirus and this informed the rapid development of COVID vaccines compared this with the culture of the national institute of health right the nih was unwilling to acknowledge that china had admitted its interest in pathogenic bioweapons after covid hit the national institute of health instinctively jumped in to defend china would not objectively analyze the circumstance. And we've got a public health bureaucracy that is just all for open science and just uh, completely have their guard down against the ability of bad actors to make bioweapons and turn them into weapons of mass destruction. Uh, it takes you know a huge national effort to, to make a nuclear weapon, but just a small group of biologists in a provincial laboratory can easily develop transmissible pathogens that can kill millions of people. All right? We know the Chinese Communist Party steals intellectual property, lies about it. We shouldn't be adopting an open science or an open free trade experiment. That's insane.
6: The most hard asset the U.S. government owns, and that's a concern we consider it is now at its lowest level in 40 years. And that is true because the Biden administration has sent this oil to foreign countries, including China. The administration also released the oil to combat rising gas prices caused by inflation from its own policies. So it's a huge problem. Again, this is a hard asset owned by the U.S. government, unlike the U.S. dollar, it will always have value, so we need to fill it up. But we may not be able to, and we can't because we don't make that much oil anymore, and... The Saudis look like they're not swooping in to rescue us, as they have so many times in the past, because they've been completely alienated by the Biden administration. Saudi now says it's going to cut oil output by 500,000 barrels per day. Biden was just asked about this. It's not a big deal, he said. Brian Brenberg is the co-host of the Big Money Show on Fox Business. He joins us on this story tonight. Brian, thanks so much for coming on. This is one of those stories that people seem to be missing, but it seems to have inherent significance, strategic petroleum reserve being, I think, the most valuable thing that we own. What do you think this means, that the Saudis are not stepping up as they have before?
8: Well, the Biden administration did two things. On the one hand, they alienated Saudi Arabia, but worse... They handed Saudi Arabia all the leverage. Saudi Arabia is calling the shots on oil. We used to do that. Like three years ago, we would have decided where the price of oil is going to be in the world market. We don't anymore. Saudi Arabia does. So we're stuck. And the Biden administration, in the meantime, drained our strategic petroleum reserves. We can't dip into those. And the chance they had to fill it up again over the past few weeks, few months, they didn't do anything about it. So the bottom line is we are now taking what Saudi Arabia wants to give instead of making the decisions we need to make to keep people in America safe and secure and prosperous and get the economy going again. We've given it all up, Tucker.
6: I, I guess two, two quick things. One, have the people who decided to sell our strategic petroleum reserve to China been indicted or imprisoned? And, Two, why didn't someone tell Biden when he was running around saying we don't need fossil fuels that actually in the adult real life world the rest of us live in, we have to have fossil fuels, period. Well, why didn't no one say that? He didn't
8: hire those advisors, Tucker. You know that as well as I do. He's got nobody in his administration who is telling him the truth on these things. And look, let's be clear about this. Even though in the run up to an election, Biden pretended like high oil prices were a problem, they're not. He's got trillions of subsidies he's got to give away for green energy. That doesn't work if oil prices are low. So this actually works to his benefit in the program he's running. It's not about your price at the pump. It's about his agenda. That's why he can stand in those steps and say it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's not to him. This is helpful to his agenda. It's not helpful to your agenda, but your agenda isn't his. And you got to start there if you want to understand what's going on right now.
0: Really quick. Okay, looking at the chat, uh, Art Bell says Luke looks rattled finding out that his videos brought Stephen J. James to the alt right. <laughs> and Bernard says, above all, the polemical character determines the use of the word political, regardless of whether the adversary is designated as non political in the sense of harmless or vice versa. If one wants to disqualify or denounce him as political, to portray oneself as non political. In the sense of being purely scientific, purely moral, purely juristic, purely aesthetic, and thereby superior. That's from Carl Schmidt. the concept of the political. Rustin Shackelford says experts are our betters, so we must obey. My God, I can't believe that I radicalized Stephen J. James.
5: Mm
3: -hmm. Okay, um... So, yeah, I wish I could have them on. You kind of cursed them.
4: I remember what I wanted to say about it, actually, now. Sorry, everybody. This is worse than the Kino Casino's pause game, isn't it? But (laughs) at least we're talking about it with some actual insight uh, from having watched Luke for a long time. So, this was a question that was always wondered about in the background and by many of Luke's guests himself. How much pushback was he getting from the Jews in his real life, from the Jews at his shul, at his synagogue, or whatever you call it? how?
0: Yeah, just the, the friendly remarks. Oh, your friends, you know, shut up. <laughs> you know, another Walmart. Great, thanks a lot. Uh, Luke's friends are at it again in Christchurch. Luke's friends are at it again in Buffalo. Great, thanks guys.
4: Much did they care about the fact that he was on a weeknight, on a Sunday, coming, leaving the synagogue, rushing home, and finding up a live stream and having Wignats versus Jips G- on his stream and talking about Richard Spencer and interviewing Mike Enoch and then going back to the synagogue for the free buffet oh, how much did this bother them and some people out won- quite a few of them yeah but I th- that was all before this oh. that was more for the porn stuff he even wrote a book about it called Rebel Without Shul mm-hmm. and that was for um writing about the porn industry basically they're like you know we can't be associated with you anymore you know you're, you're supposedly orthodox and you're talking about porn I think that's what all that was Pretty sure he's just been at the same synagogue, attached to the same one. I don't know how it works personally, but attached to the same one there. Certainly for the time period that we're analysing of his YouTubing about the alt right. But it was always something that everybody wondered about in the background. I remember a stream probably in 2018, perhaps right in the middle, in the height of the summer of Luke Ford, as I call it, 2018 there. Uh, or it could have been 2019. A stream that was had with Melky Casey and Dennis Dale, and some other people. That was
5: about the time when I joined, 2018.
4: But I remember this stream that was had on the side to, like, say, what the fuck is Luke doing? What is he actually doing here? Because they couldn't believe that he was broaching these questions of the Jewish question, essentially. Because if, it, beyond the no state, ladies and gentlemen, as I've said before, uh, if you're a you'll probably be, resent it being said. You'll probably disagree and say, no, we talked about the Jewish question the most, idiot. We named the Jew over here and he'll turn or something like that. Of course, that went on. But nowhere was the Jewish question being dissected as much in the, in the environment of Jews talking about it with uh, Wignett, with okay. essentially. And then on Luke Ford's show. And I remember the stream that went on like, with, with Casey and Dennis Dale on the side. And uh, maybe Brundlefly was on as well. But I remember Casey and Brundle and for about two hours. Uh, I think it was 2018 because it was red hot. I remember I was gardening. It was really sunny. And I was listening to it. And they were like, what? You know, they're trying to work out what is Luke up to? Is he, like, secretly on our side? Is he secretly one of us? Is he uh, secretly doing this to undermine the Jews? Uh, what's going on? Uh, and nobody could, like... There was also this sense that Luke would be playing on both sides of the issue whilst also straddling the fence. And so this was essentially uh, something that was going on right from the early days here with Luke. And it was a question, what, what kind of effect was this having in his real life? And what did, like, his rabbi and the other people... Uh, the influential Jews who turn up to see on a Saturday think about this. Were they aware of it? Did he get pushback from it? And it's something he's been uh, very coy or cagey about.
0: Yeah, I get a lot of comments like Luke's friends are at it again. Great. All right, mate. So much to talk about here. The cost of Joe Biden's democracy fixation right so instead of just pursuing the national interest joe biden is supposedly trying to wage a a battle for democracy versus autocracy and it doesn't really help because if we are going to get serious about dealing with china we need to assemble and cultivate a coalition of countries that are anything but liberal and democratic right this is Walter russell mead in the wall street journal so if we want any kind of southeast asian strategy at all we have to work with countries like vietnam Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Myanmar, all of which count as not free on the Freedom House scale, and countries like India, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Nepal, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, and Sri Lanka. Right, Unless we can bring these partly free countries into our network, we have zero chance holding the balance against China. Central Asia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, all rate is not free. Do we really want to write off this part of the world? If we want to keep Middle East oil producers from aligning with our enemies, we need to work with some very undemocratic governments. And if we want to counter China and Africa, we have to work with imperfect governments in Angola, Nigeria, Ethiopia, and Sudan. So to alienate these countries through vacuous posturing about our sincerity as human rights crusaders would be absolutely stupid. But that is the path that we are on under the Biden administration.
3: Right, here's uh, Dennis Prager today. Nobody wants to say that because they wish to villainize uh, Donald Trump, so much so that USA Today, which is a rag sheet on the level of Pravda, Trump using anti-Semitic rhetoric to raise money after indictment. Oh, really?
0: To say that the USA Today is on the level of Pravda is just hysterical analysis. To say it's just a, a rag sheet, it's just a typical American... Uh, newspaper struggling to pay the bills. It's fairly centrist. Uh, my my God, uh, to to say that the USA Today is the equivalent of, of Pravda is hysteria. You know, uh, 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 you'd think it unworthy of a twelve year old girl, but you know, that's the type of crap that Dennis Prager is pumping out here.
3: So, what's an example of that? Trump attacked Manhattan prosecutor Alvin Bragg. Is he Jewish? No. Okay, just checking. Whose office was responsible for bringing the case to the grand jury as being funded by George Soros, a major donor to democratic causes and a popular target of anti-Semitism on the far right. That's it, I see. Well, let me say as a Jew who has done more to fight anti-Semitism than almost any living Jew, who smuggled uh, in to the Soviet Union uh, in my 20s, smuggled in Jewish items for Jews, smuggled out names of Jews to leave, who uh, wanted to leave to Israel, or just leave period and, and could do so through Israel, uh, who was on the Holocaust Memorial Board, who has written uh, a book that, on anti-Semitism that has gone into three editions and is still widely read, and
0: this is something I enjoy about Jews. Jews like feeling good about themselves. Jews feel, in general, not every Jew, but there is a cultural tendency here. Jews feel much more comfortable you know, reeling off their accomplishments than do Anglos.
3: Who has brought more goodwill to Jews than the entire Anti-Defamation League, which has probably brought more ill will to Jews than goodwill. So let me say with those criteria, that this is a damn liar, the, the, this Aaron Mansfield, this piece of crap who wrote this goddamn lie, excuse me.
0: He, he calls her a piece of crap. I mean, I I said that Prager's analysis was crappy. I wouldn't say that is a piece of crap. It sounds like this woman has written a misguided, wrong headed, even boneheaded and stupid op ed. Doesn't make her a piece of crap. This is just one expression of her. She may well in her spare time be caring for her sick mother. She may be looking after her children. She may have done, you know, all sorts of wonderful things in her life. Do we all want to be Now, judged by the most boneheaded and and stupid things that we've done uh, dennis prager is just completely unhinged like on friday he was calling democrats termites all right now he's calling usa today the equivalent of pravda he glories in talking about how the united states is engaged in a civil war i mean if you've been in a real civil war Right, you wouldn't be talking about America being in a civil war. 95% of Americans don't care much about politics. Right, You can go and have a very productive, very happy life without fighting about politics with people. But Dennis wants people to start fighting about politics, wants people to, to blow up their lives and go public with their political positions, which is just insane. This is just insane. I remember... I was a big Dennis Prager fan in, in the 1980s because he was he was fun to listen to compared to many talk show hosts. He's, he's fairly balanced. He was he was also very kind to me. I you know gained a lot from from listening to him. But one thing I noticed fairly early on was that his his advice was frequently just awful, just absolutely awful. And the advice he has here from from Friday's show is just terrible.
3: Anyway, it's the happiness hour, and I'll tell you more ways not to despair. You have to fill your life with kindred spirits, so you'll know you're not alone.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, try to fill your life with kindred spirits. That's a great idea.
3: You're not alone. There are millions. Even in California, there are millions of people who think as you do, who hold the same values you do, millions. Your only job is to find five of them. That shouldn't be impossible. It is not.
0: And that's a good point. If you just can find two, three, four, five friends, you're you're in pretty good shape. not
3: impossible. One of the only ways to do it, though, is to get out of the closet, which means that you will...
0: No, you don't have to go public. All right, you can use, you know, all sorts of proxies to, you know, find people with whom you, you have comfortable uh, political, cultural, religious views. You don't have to come out of the closet and let everyone know that you think this indictment is going to incite a civil war. This is terrible advice.
3: We'll also make enemies. But isn't the price worth it?
0: Uh, for some people, yeah, they might make more friends than enemies. Other people will make more enemies than friends. Some people will make you know, more enemies uh, than they can handle. All right. You want to have the best possible relations with everyone. Right. You want to have the best possible relations with your mother. And so, if that means you don't talk about politics with your mother, don't talk about politics with your mother. You want the best possible relations with your father. You want the best possible relations with your siblings. You want the best possible relations with your uncles and aunties and cousins, co-workers, neighbors, uh, co-religionists, people you meet in Starbucks. You want the best possible relations with everyone. You don't want to blow up your relationships or possible relationships with other people. So, some people the best possible relationship you, you'll have with them is virtually no relationship at all. But having no relationship at all with someone who would absolutely hate you if you started speaking out on politics, all right, it's far, far, far preferable to have no relationship with someone than to have you know, that person dedicated to ruining your life. So this idea that you should go public condemning uh, Donald Trump's indictment so that you can make friends is I think really bad advice.
3: Wouldn't you be willing to get enemies in order to get friends? Of course.
0: Yeah, but it's not necessary, right? You don't have to make enemies to find friends with whom you share, you know, common values, right? You don't have to go posting on social media, your political views. You don't have to share them socially to find friends with whom you have common values.
3: It's the only way to do it in a, in a civil...
0: That's terrible. It's not the only way to do it. Just use some discretion. Use some good judgment. You go to an Orthodox synagogue, the odds are about 80% that the people who are there will vote Republican. You go, if you're an evangelical Christian, right, go to an evangelical Christian church, right, the odds are really good that, uh, <laughs> that uh, you'll find a lot of uh, Republicans. So let's get another burst of uh, Tucker Carlson here.
6: My aspiration is... So that seems honestly like a more normal aspiration, taking your boy to a restaurant, but CBS News wants him to run for president. You can't overstate how repulsive a lot of journalists are most. Dr. Mark Siegel joins us tonight to assess what we saw in this interview. Doctor, what do you think of this?
7: Tucker, first of all, I can't believe that she asked him if he's running for president even before the Depression. The chances of him surviving the term are less than 50 percent from the kind of stroke he had. And he has a bad heart. Then we find out that he's had chronic depression, which nobody told told the, the voters of Pennsylvania about. He's been suffering it for years on the positive side. I thought that he was good coming forward and saying I couldn't get out of bed. I didn't want to eat. I was losing weight, I had no happiness in my life, I couldn't celebrate my son's 14th birthday and I had to be hospitalized because depression is a disease that's so often stigmatized and over 10% of Americans suffer from severe depression. So in saying that, he makes it less stigmatized. On the other hand, What was he doing in the hospital for six weeks? The usual hospitalization is six to 10 days. How come if he's being transparent, we're not finding out what the treatment was there? And you just pointed out there's issues with hearing. That's related to his stroke. You know, there's the issue of that he has a 60 percent chance or more of recurrent depression, that he goes back in the hospital, all of which leads me to my main point. We feel bad for him. We like that he came forward. We feel compassion for him on a personal level. But what about the voters of Pennsylvania? What about the the 14 million people in Pennsylvania? What about the people in the United States who have a Senate that's so divided that every vote matters? And is he up to voting? Is he fit to serve? I have serious, serious concerns about that, and so should every American.
6: Tucker. That's exactly exactly right. Dr. Mark Siegel, thank you so much. Thank you. 10% of Americans have depression they tell you it's all chemical imbalance in the brain that's a lie some of it may be but depression is also a product of living a life you're not supposed to be living and if your mercenary wife and all the political consultants around you tell you, you have to be in the US Senate and you don't want to be in the US Senate you're not ready to serve in the US Senate maybe it gives you depression that's not crazy actually as an explanation those people should have to answer for it who did this to him So it's kind of interesting that you're not hearing our leaders talk that much about black people anymore. Remember all the neoliberals were obsessed telling you about black people. Why aren't they talking about black people anymore? Three years after George Floyd, actually the lives of many African-Americans, real people, have gotten a lot worse. Following the 2020 Floyd riots, African-American deaths by homicide reached levels never seen before in this country. Someone should stop and ask, why is that? But no no one in the Democratic Party is because they don't care, they don't have to care because they have a new class of victims to exploit for political power. Out with black people, in with transgenderists. We're gonna exploit their suffering to become more powerful. And of course, big corporations are taking the lead as they always do. Bud Light just honored a man who dresses up like a little girl called Dylan Mulvaney. Watch this.
2: I got some Bud Lights for us, so. I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my Day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it.
6: So do you think that the people in charge care about that person? or any transgender person. Really, if they did, they might ask questions like, is the suicide rate among young people who are getting hormone treatments rising or falling? Because if you cared, you'd want to know that. They don't want to know, they don't care. You think Sandy Cortez even thinks about that? No. The point is getting power from the suffering of others. And if you've decided you're another sex, you're definitely suffering on many, many levels. But point that out and you get attacked. That happened to our friend Billboard Chris in Canada. He went to a trans rally in Vancouver on Friday. Here's what happened to him while there. You suck. You
1: suck. <laughs> you <laughs> you <laughs> you're not wanted. You <laughs> you you're, you're an idiot.
7: You. 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 Hey
6: so who's the aggressor there well it wasn't the man who calls himself billboard chris he was assaulted and when he reported his assault to the air quotes here police the police refused to investigate
1: within seconds i was surrounded not allowed to walk freely pushed as you can see my nose is bleeding. They just walked up to him and assaulted
2: him. You want to see? I don't. Where's the video? <laughs> I have it on my camera, but I'm. Are you going right to show it to me? Yeah, I can, I can. show it to you.
0: How about you show it to me? Are you going to do something about it if I do?
2: Uh, if I
3: actually see an assault and not a uh, claim of an, an assault. For your, your nose? No, that's fine. <laughs> how do you think
0: that happened, man? You think he did it to himself or something?
3: Uh, people can. Do these
0: things to hurt themselves on purpose? <laughs> you don't honestly I've think got a that police officer here thinking I
1: scratched
6: myself on, on purpose? It's hilarious. Oh, the rosy-cheeked face of tyranny. She could be working in the City Bank HR department. Maybe she will be someday. And, and she's not the only one. The police chief, the deputy police chief, rather Howard Chow of Vancouver, has taken her side. He says he's appalled not that people are being bashed in the face for their political views, but because some people don't like the fact the police didn't respond. He hasn't condemned the militants who attacked that man. That's because in Canada, as in this country, militants with the right cause, the trans cause, can do whatever they want. They can even kill Christian children in school and they're they're the victims. So a story that happened last week, a Wall Street Journal reporter arrested in Russia being held for spying is there any way to get this man out 31 years old his family's distraught of course we'll bring you an update
0: okay keep an eye on the news as it happens as it goes down let's have a look at the chat up bell says with dennis prager after wonder what his ratings are like maybe he is in a corner maybe he's boxed in at risk of losing his show comes off as unhinged anxious and thrashing luke is steady on air i hope so i would uh like to think that my self-perception is i'm a fairly steady happy happy guy and i don't feel the need to lash out at the democrats and call them a bunch of termites and uh, the you know the, the usa today is just like pravda and the united states is in a civil war right now it's just uh insane some of the things that uh, dennis is saying here he is from friday's show civil
3: war, which i said we were in 20 years ago
0: right he loves promoting that we're in a civil war. Do you know how bad that is to be pumping that out into the country? I know it's an attention getter. I know it's very exciting for people. I, I know that it's probably good for, for ratings to do videos that we're in a civil war. It, it makes you more significant because you're a fighter in this civil war. But anyone who's really been in a civil war where people are getting slaughtered would have contempt for this analogy. Right? How many people are getting slaughtered in America's civil war right now? How many people, how many Republicans are being murdered deliberately by Democrats on on the basis of political affiliation? I'm not aware of that. We have crime problems in this country, but it's not generic Democrats going after people who are Republicans and just slaughtering them.
3: One of the only ways to do it, though, is to get out of the closet, which means that you will also make enemies. But isn't the price worth it? Wouldn't you be willing to get enemies in order to get friends? Of course. It's the only way to do it in, in, a, in a civil war, which I said we were in 20 years ago. And is now, now it's obvious.
0: He's proud that 20 years ago, for 20 years he's been saying we're in a civil war and he's saying now it's obvious that we're in a civil war. So you're hyping up hostility to outgroups beyond a level that is functional, right? Walking around with a two or a three in intensity with antipathy towards outgroup and preference for your in-group, that is perfectly functional. But if you go to work with the attitude that America is in a civil war, if you ride a bus, get on a subway, interact with strangers, you know, talk to people in a bar, right? You live your life with the, this Dennis Prager mindset that we're in a civil war, that the Democrats are termites and pieces of crap, right? That's highly dysfunctional. That's terrible for your happiness. It's terrible for your effectiveness. It's terrible for your mental health. It's terrible for your relationships. It's terrible for your relationships with your family, with your friends, with your community, with, with strangers, with people you work with. This is just absolutely poisonous rhetoric. And why? Why does a good man like Dennis Prager has devoted his life to teaching goodness and God-based ethics, who's written a book on happiness, who's delivered hundreds of lectures on happiness why is he pumping out poison because he's in a particular situation where the whole business model for what he does depends upon drilling into his listeners that they are victims and that he is fighting for them against all the institutions and you know everyone powerful in society who is aligned against them you're a victim he's fighting for you it's a civil war he's fighting for you in the civil war right that's a very exciting rhetorical strategy to get listeners it's a, an exciting rhetorical strategy to have a prestigious position in society it is at the cost he's pumping poison into the bloodstream of america right this may well be more damaging more destructive cause more loss of life than real corporations who are pumping real chemicals into the water or the air right you know the the tens of thousands hundreds of thousands possibly millions of people who may, who over the course of 20 years, Dennis has spoken to millions of people about this idea that we're in a civil war to the extent that people get hyped up and start regarding Democrats as pieces of crap and as termites and taking on this attitude that we're in a a civil war. This is just absolute poison. And he's doing it because he's in a situation where he needs to say these things because the whole business model for his fame Right, his whole business model for his high status, his whole business model for having nationally syndicated radio show, his whole business model for then going out and teaching about God-based ethics, right? It is all based on a foundation of pumping poison into the American bloodstream. Without daily pumping poison into the American bloodstream, he wouldn't have this status. He wouldn't have this prestige. He wouldn't have a nationally syndicated radio show. He, you know, he wouldn't have this really sweet position in, in life. But it comes at the cost of just pouring out poison, making people less happy and less effective. I, I, I just tell you, go listen to a typical Dennis Prager show. And when I was a huge Dennis Prager fan, I would notice that I was less happy consistently after listening to his show. Far more often, by a ratio of about 3 to 1, 5 to 1, I was consistently less happy than I was happy after listening to his show. And I experienced that while I was a huge fan of his. So, it's not that Dennis Prager is a bad person. Dennis Prager is a pretty good bloke in a situation where he has succumbed to the temptations of the situation to pump out poison to maintain his prestigious position.
3: You need kindred spirits. That will cheer you up. You know where I will be tonight, Friday night? At a Shabbat dinner with my group of 12. And...
0: Yeah, Glenn Medley makes a good point that uh, back in his heyday, back in 1994, I believe, when Dennis Prager had a nationally syndicated TV show, he was too mellow for his nationally syndicated TV show. He was too mellow for the New York market. I think he took the lesson from that. I, I can't afford to be so mellow. Dennis Prager used to be a pretty mellow, pretty happy guy, but I think he experienced the the pain, possibly humiliation, of losing his nationally syndicated TV show. Losing his New York radio show on WABC, just like Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson used to be a really sensible, superb journalist, thoughtful, uh, fair, balanced. But he had you know failures in his TV punditry days, and so he learned that the way to maintain you know high ratings is to pump out hate porn. And I enjoy Tucker, and I think he's you know, often on the side of the angels. But I also recognize that much of what he does is gratuitous hate porn. The same with Dennis Prager. I like much of what Dennis Prager says, but both Dennis and Tucker pump out inordinate amount of hate porn, which enables them to have, you know, these prestigious positions, you know, nationally syndicated radio host. you know, Fox News pundit with over 3 million viewers a day. But it comes at the cost of you know, pumping poison into the American bloodstream
3: visitors that, that come and I, I did that the entire lockdown I
0: right so if everyone had done what Dennis Prager did during the lockdown uh, tens of thousands possibly hundreds of thousands of more Americans would have died
3: I missed we missed getting together two Friday nights that was it when we realized that the lockdowns were vile were crushing as they turned out to be with zero science Behind it, it is a major source of my joy.
0: It, this notion that the lockdowns had zero science behind them. Now, there is very good analysis indicating that uh, some of the lockdowns were too strict; they went on too long. That the price paid for some of the lockdowns was, you know, beyond the benefits of the lockdowns. There's also evidence for benefit from the lockdown. So it's not like there's zero science, one side or another. All right, there are hot debates on the efficacy of lockdowns. May those debates continue until we till we get clarity. But this notion that there was zero science behind a lockdown. I mean, if you just knew something about the Spanish influenza of 1918, 1919, when tens of thousands of Americans died, right, you couldn't be so cavalierly dismissive of lockdowns. If you have a, an influenza that is as deadly as COVID, or more deadly than COVID. All right? Let's say we get another influenza that's five times as deadly as COVID. We would have at least five times more incentive to lock down.
3: Boy of life, you must find kindred spirits. I have other recommendations. We return.
6: The Hi, everybody! The
3: Happiness Hour, and I never miss it on a Friday, no matter how bad the news. On the contrary, when the news is bad...
0: Right, this is the happiness hour, telling people we're in a civil war. Get happy, guys. We're in a civil war. Uh, it's... it's obscene.
3: ...is when we most need the happiness hour. Although even in happy times, I started it. Much happier times, because people, a lot of people were still miserable. In fact, it's miserable people who have created the crisis. Happiness is a moral obligation, is an insight that I have brought to millions of people, and it is both macro and micro true. You owe it to the people in your life to have a happy disposition?
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And and how can listening to someone harangue that uh, Democrats are termites and that we're in a civil war, really, how does that make the ordinary listener, how does that make him a little bit more happy?
3: And to brush away your bad moods just as you brush away your bad breath can inflict these moods on others. And it's true in the macro that it's a moral obligation because the happy make the world better. As I say, almost every happiness hour at the beginning of the hour. I have no problem with that word. Some of you do. Uh, I hope God does damn this lie. When you charge anti-Semitism when it doesn't exist, what you do is fuck.
0: Okay, this is Prager from today.
3: anti-Semitism and cheapen the word, which is what USA today does and the entire left does. The left is an enemy of the Jews as is an enemy of mankind, but most Jews don't know it. So yes, that is the state of our... Uh, uh, of the antipathy toward to a Donald Trump that you can lie 100%. You could just lie. You make up things. He is a George Soros-funded DA. That is enough to condemn him because George Soros is as close to diabolic as it gets on this planet, not because he's a...
0: Okay, I just don't find it useful to call people diabolical. Uh, George Soros has, you know, a certain perspective on the world, which in some situations is probably an adaptive one. I think in America, right, funding, you know, more permissive... uh, criminal justice attitudes and laws and uh, enforcement is just terrible. It's absolutely awful. In another situation, it might be adaptive. So as George Soros is a human being, all right? He, he's done some good things in his life. I generally disagree with his, his policies, but uh, he's you know, still a complicated human being. I just don't see sufficient benefit in, in calling people diabolical. Right, I don't think it makes you more effective in life. I think it's much better to just understand where is George Soros coming from? What does George Soros stand for? What is his track record? Like what type of person thinks the way that George Soros does? How would someone like George Soros experience the world that leads them to the point of view that they have? Right, some great comments in the chat. Let me roll through them. The termite hour. <laughs> Has Tucker commented on all the reporting that uh, Tucker sent all these emails saying he hates Trump? Not to the best of my knowledge. Sum says, some things are black and white. Elliot Blatt comments, let's talk about COVID for now. Let's talk about collapsing regional banks. That's a real morale booster. Does Dennis Prager's audience even have the health to participate in a civil war? Aren't they old and obese, presumably? XM Radio needs customers, Luke. emailed a podcast at two years for $5 a month. And he got it it for $3 a month. You get a musket. You get a musket. You get a musket. Chat says, guerrilla mindset over the Prager mindset. Uh, Bell says, Dennis could be in a ratings war. You better be. Using civil war as Tim Pool's clickbait game. Get out of the closet is an unusual call to action. (laughs) The amount of Democrats against conservative attacks is higher than that of Wignats. Lepanius says that Dennis Prager is being irresponsible. Uh, Lepanius knows that Tucker Carlson has been springing a lot of uh, wrongfully accused felons from prison lately. All right, let's get a little bit more from Dennis Prager from today. A
3: Jew. He doesn't even identify as a Jew. Isn't on the left all that matters what you identify as? All of a sudden, you are what you're born. You're not the sex you're born, but you're the ethnicity you're born. Isn't that cool? <laughs> the left. <laughs> They say what they want to say for the ends they wish to achieve, because truth is not a left-wing value. Soros has as much to do with Judaism, Jews, or Israel uh, as uh, as a rural Mongolian, with the exception that the rural Mongolian doesn't do damage to the world like George Soros does. So yes, it is a remarkable article in in the USA Today, front page today. And a lot of the readers, to the extent that the USA Today has readers, will believe this lie. The writer probably believes the lie. The left presents an interesting moral problem. If you believe your lies, are you lying? I don't know the answer to that you have to know that what you say is a lie in order for it to be a lie? Yes. Do you have an answer to you that
0: question? You have to know. Yes. It's,
3: very hard. it's a very hard question. Yes. The damage no. is actually great.
0: No, it's not hard to know. You have to believe your lies. It's not a lie. If you believe that what you're saying is true, it is not a lie.
3: If you believe your lie, then there's no hope for you. And that's why there's no hope for the left. There's hope for some liberals, but, but not much. The, the issue is the independent and the conservative to make them aware of the...
0: Okay, this idea that there's just no hope for liberals... There will be people with liberal left-wing tendencies. All right, that's the language we use now. Thousands of years for now, All right? Liberal left-wing tendencies have existed for thousands of years, meaning tendencies towards openness to strangers, uh, reduced you know, levels of uh, outgroup hostility, more egalitarianism, more openness to experimenting with different ways of organizing communities and families, All right? We've had these... What we call now left and right tendencies, but they 're evolutionary adaptations right? the The left has a, you know certain impulses that uh, people have evolved over thousands of years and have proved adaptive to reality. The right has impulses and adaptations to reality as well, and in certain circumstances, the left wing ones turn out to be more adaptive and so people get to pass on their genes, and the right-wing tendencies in other situations prove to be less adaptive, so fewer people pass on their genes. Right now, it looks like left-wing people are less likely to pass on their genes in the United States, and right-wing people seems to me have a more adaptive strategy for dealing with the United States as it is right now. But situations change constantly. Events, my dear boy, events. So this idea that there's no hope for liberals is absurd. There will be prosperous liberals and lefties for thousands of years, All right? Uh, liberals and lefties, you know, are going to reproduce. They're going to have families. They're going to make money. They're going to move ahead in their careers. They're going to, you know, lead upstanding lives at an approximate, you know, nearly, you know, the same ballpark as uh, people on on the right. So this idea that there's just no hope for people with a, a different political point of view Is just poison to take this on right just imagine you take this on and you go through your day thinking that there's no hope for people who have a different political point of view from me who don't see the Alvin Bragg indictment of Donald Trump the same way I do therefore there's no hope right that's just poison
3: mortal threat to goodness that the left presents the whopping outrage in Trump's indictment by former US prosecutor Andrew McCarthy there is, in, there is his invocation of trivial, that is brag, trivial business records misdemeanors against the partisan foe. At the same time, he is refusing to enforce felony offenses against ardent criminals who prey on New Yorkers.
0: Wait, what did, what did he say? That was a bit much.
3: Presents. The whopping outrage in Trump's indictment by former U.S. prosecutor Andrew McCarthy. I have to get back to There, is, in, that. In, there is his sorry. invocation of... So yes, it is a remarkable article in the in USA Today, front page today. And a lot of the readers, to the extent that the USA Today has readers, will believe this lie. The right-
0: you know what type of people will believe that lie or the lies that Dennis Prager puts out? People are already predisposed to believe that lie, right? People aren't going to change their minds over that article or Dennis Prager's commentary or my commentary. Only those people are already predisposed in that certain direction, right? So however heated I get against you know contrary points of view, all right, these different attitudes on you know, big sweeping global political issues, all right, people are going to change their mind. They may edge a little bit, you know, one way or another if they already have some tendencies in that direction.
3: The writer probably believes the lie. The left presents an interesting moral problem. If you believe your lies, are you lying?
0: No, yeah. you're not. It, it's not a difficult problem. It's very simple. If you believe that what you're saying is true, you are not technically lying. I don't
3: know the answer to that. Do you have to know that what you say is a lie in order for it to be a lie? Do you have an answer?
0: Yeah, Art Bell says Dennis Brigger is going for Mark Levin. <laughs> At least a step towards it. Like Mark Levin just sounds like a, a ranting, screaming homeless guy. Good that question. very hard. So Dennis has often spoken that in his, his first uh, 10, 15 years in radio, there was one piece of advice he was continually getting from the, the program director more energy, more energy, more energy. And so Mello Dennis didn't cut it at WABC in New York. Mellow Dennis didn't cut it as a nationally syndicated TV host. He took away from that more energy, more energy, more energy. And so what helps you get more energy? What helps you deliver a more energetic show? Upping the level of hyperbole. And so Dennis is able to psych himself into delivering delivering the energetic show that you need to attract a high listenership. But if you have to psych yourself up to deliver an energetic show by pumping out poison, maybe it's not worth it. Now, Dennis is 74 years of age. You know, I give him credit for you know, delivering a, a very compelling, interesting nationally syndicated radio show. He does you know, pump a tremendous amount of energy. But it seems to me that what is required for him to pump out this amount of energy is that he's pouring a whole bunch of you know, hyperbole and, frankly, just poison into the American bloodstream, you know, is it really worth it to maintain a nationally syndicated radio show? Like, what if the price of maintaining a nationally syndicated radio show is your own soul and having a negative effect on the souls of thousands of people? Is it really worth it to maintain your high-status position?
3: It's a very hard question. The damage is actually greater if you believe your lie. Then there's no hope for you. and That's why there's no hope for the left. There's hope for some liberals but but not much. The the issue is the independent and the conservative to make them aware of the mortal threat to goodness that the left presents.
0: The mortal threat to goodness that the left presents. Yeah. In some situations, the left presents a mortal threat to goodness. In other situations, the right is going to present a mortal threat to business. Uh to, to goodness. Just like when I was in my more naive days earlier on in my conversion to Orthodox Judaism, I thought that, you know, rabbis are just more moral than, than most people because they devote their lives to praying and studying Torah. But then I, I quickly realized that they're not, that they're just as likely to molest, they're just as likely to engage in financial fraud as a plumber or as a gardener or as a dentist, all right? there's nothing about inherently in observing Orthodox Judaism in in America today that inherently makes anyone better. Some people use it and they become better. So many of the finest people I know are Orthodox Jews, but plenty of people practice Orthodox Judaism or Christianity or watered down forms of Judaism, and it doesn't make them any better. Some people practice it, it makes them worse. So it's not like the left is just this mortal threat to goodness, but the right is, you know, never a mortal threat to goodness. What determines whether or not the left is going to be a mortal threat to goodness, you know, as opposed to the right events, my dear boy events. So it seems like to me that in certain events, you know, a more left-wing approach is more adaptive, such as during COVID, you know, more government intervention in the economy and how we run our lives Right to a certain extent, may have proved to be adaptive, but then when you had an excessive government intervention, then it became maladaptive, or if the adaptation held you know, on too long, then you know, then, then what was once adaptive, like six glasses of water a day, usually adaptive, but 12 glasses of water a day may very well be maladaptive. Art Bell says, Dennis Dale just did a short show, said his favorite city area in Portland looks terrible, and that it's left him demoralized. So, if I'm just taking what you said as true. If someone feels demoralized because their favorite part of a city looks terrible, that is not about that part of the city. That is about what's going on in your psyche. All right, it's possible to be happy even when you know things are not going your way in the wider world. Now, you want to arrange your life to have as you know many opportunities for for happiness and you know, getting along with people and preserving everything that you hold sacred. So, yeah, if you get, you know, feel temporarily demoralized when your team doesn't win or when a favorite part of your city gets trashed, that absolutely makes sense. But if you feel demoralized for, for weeks and months afterwards, then that's some kind of miswiring malfunction, right? To to suffer a loss, right? It It is normal, natural, and even healthy, to feel down, right? You lose a valuable friend, you lose an opportunity, you lose a job, you lose a opportunity or a promotion, you lose you know, a chance at love, you, learn, you lose an opportunity at prestige, right? You lose something valuable. Yeah, it's no more natural healthy to feel down because when you then feel down, you get to recalibrate. It's like, okay, how can I do things differently now that circumstances have changed? I've experienced this this key loss right? And so to feel down, to be introspective for hours, even days, that's adaptive. But if you feel down, right, for weeks or months, because you didn't get that promotion, or because politics didn't go your way, or, you know, a favorite part of the city gets trashed, then then that demoralization response is is maladaptive. So you want your psyche like your wrist, you know, to do the things that you need it to do. And a psyche that gets demoralized when you know the city around you is is not going your way right that is it becomes maladaptive after a certain amount of time right you you experience the pain when life doesn't go your way when you suffer loss yeah you feel down and introspective but to be adaptive to the world you need to you know bounce back within within days or a couple of weeks
3: The whopping outrage in Trump's indictment by former U.S. prosecutor Andrew McCarthy. There is, in, there is his invocation of trivial, that is Bragg, trivial business records misdemeanors against the partisan foe, at the same time he is refusing to enforce felony offenses against hardened criminals who prey on New Yorkers. Alvin Bragg is as bad a human being to occupy that office as, exists, as probably ever existed. The man is responsible, 100% responsible for some of the murders and rapes in New York City because of his completely lenient view of violent crime. Here is the, here is the, key, the key, key question. If you believe that the indictment is 100% legal honesty, then you are deluding yourself in a way that renders renders you sort of hopeless. When a man lets rapists and and people who beat people and who repeatedly rob stores and cars and carjack and even kill, when he lets them out, and I will give you a list of some of the examples of Alvin Bragg letting these people out, but then you prosecute on, on the flimsiest of charges, the, f- the former president of the United States of America, an unprecedented act in American history, and then the New York Times, this is this is as important as anything, the New York Times supports this. The New York Times says this is legal, not political. So is the Washington Post and CNN, ABC and NBC and NPR and PBS and CBS and what else? LGBTQIA and uh, RTDDDD and... SM2226, they all say it. If it's got an acronym, the odds are it says it. <laughs> yeah, this is not political. The question is an interesting question, important question. Well, I don't know if it's, well, it is important. Is this being done in order to make sure that Donald Trump is nominated? Because there is a line of thought, which I don't find...
0: Um, yeah, that would make sense, that uh, Democrats may well think this will help Trump secure the Republican nomination, and that Trump would be the easiest of the major Republican candidates to defeat in a general election. So right now, I would say if you get Trump versus Biden in 2024, right now, just looking at things, it seems to me about 90% likely that Biden would defeat Trump in 2024.
3: Easily rejected. That many Democrats believe that Donald Trump would be the easiest person to defeat of Republican nominees. Easier than DeSantis, easier easier than Ramaswamy, and, and even some others. And they want to ensure that he is nominated. There's also a strain of thought that if he's serving time in prison, he can't run, and they they want to make sure he doesn't run. Which do you buy? Uh, I'm more in the latter camp. You're more in the latter camp, so you think they fear him running more than they fear him not running? No. We'll be back in a moment. What a Prager Seven Seven Six Natural.
0: Okay, interesting question. So I, I would go with they think that Trump would be the easiest to defeat. All right, we've got National College Basketball Championship starting in two minutes. I gotta run. Bye bye.